This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church. Stay tuned and find us online at nagsheadchurch.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Nags Head Church. Today, as we continue our summer series, Life-Changing Stories, these are stories that we asked our church to submit to us. Tell us your favorite Bible story uh, back in February, and we compiled and got, grabbed 12 of them. We got more than 12 submitted, but grabbed 12 of those and said we're going to do those through the summer, and I hope you're enjoying it. If you've missed any of it, go to our podcast, and you can listen to the ones that we've already covered in the month of June. Um, the, story about Jericho is where we are today. I was told this morning before we began that one of my daughters, and I'm not sure which one, but Sarah, was, you were the one identified, but I'm not sure about that. You, when, when, when they were little, and you, you know the old song, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, it came out this way, he fit the battle of Cherry Coke. And um, <laughs> my little brother used to, um, not Annie, but another one of them used to uh, sing instead of are you... Are you washed in the blood? He, was, he picked it up as, as, are you washing the floor? And so, you know, <laughs> kids hear things different. And uh, uh, the little boy that prayed the Lord's Prayer, and, he, and somebody said, uh, do you, he said, I know what God's name is. I learned it at church today. And uh, somebody said, oh, what is God's name? And he said, Howard. <laughs> Howard be thy name. And so, you know, um, you know. You... <laughs> As I grow older, and I, all of us are growing older, all right, let's just not fool ourselves, we're all growing older, um, but some of us are, have hit that stage in life where growing older has picked up the pace, you know, you've gotten into high gear, and uh, you can't remember where you left your keys, you walk into a room and say, why am I here, you know, what, what did I come here for, and, and uh, all kinds of things go on as we forget and we become forgetful. Uh, and as I grow older, I have a birthday coming up in a little over a month, and, and uh, man, I'm just charging hard through, uh, I guess, through the 60s now. And, and uh, as I grow older, here's one thing that I've learned uh, that is true for every single one of us. And I think this is one of just the fig- things I've figured out in my advanced age, and that is all of life, whether you're a teenager in here this morning or you're much, much older, all of life All of your life, all of my life is about choices. It's about choices. Uh, You're here today because you made a choice. And God bless you. Some of you, as you got ready to leave the house and come to church, it was dumping rain. And and how many of you, honest to goodness, how many of you pray, God, please make the rain quit when I get there? Anybody pray that? Thank you for your bold faith, all right? (laughs) The rest rest of us appreciate that. Um, But you made a choice, and you made a choice to come here, especially if you're maybe on vacation, never been to this church before, and you pulled in and said, God, maybe this is the place for us today. You made a choice. If you're married, uh, you made a choice in life. I'm not saying it was a good or bad one, but you made a choice. Um, about the person that you were marrying. If you have children, you made some choices. Uh, if you're over your head today in credit card debt, it's because, it's because you've made choices. All of life is about choices. And our story today is about choices. And, and uh, we're going to get to the story of, of Jericho. But in order to do that, I think to better understand the story, we have to back up over 400 years in the history of, of, of the people of Israel, the Hebrew people, God's people, Back up to the story and the time when Joshua, uh, before Joshua, his great-great-great-great-grandparents, a man by the name of Jacob, 
who had 11 sons who lived in the land that God gave them. And God told their, therefore, Father Abraham, I'm giving you this land. And it was a huge expanse of land. It goes all the way up to today, to modern day Iraq, Israel. And, uh, and I'm going to give you this land and it is your land forever, God told them. This is always your land. That was God's promise. Well, in Jacob's lifetime, there was a famine that came to the land. And Jacob and his family, because of the famine, they picked up and left their home and moved all, all 11 families, kids, grandkids, great-grandkids, and so forth. They moved over to Egypt, which wasn't their home, but they found that in their home there was their long-lost brother Joseph who had risen to such a position in Egypt, second under Pharaoh, that he had come come up with a plan because he knew the famine was coming. God revealed that to him in a dream. God said, look, seven years of famine's coming. You need to get prepared for that. So he had all the farmers. They began to store all the crops and build barns and silos, and they had tons and tons and hundreds and thousands of tons, I guess, of grain and food stored away for this time of famine. And, he, and Joshua, or excuse me, Jacob and, and his sons are reintroduced to Joseph. We don't have time to go into that tremendous story today. But they move the family to Egypt. They're their, their son, their brother is in charge of the nation, essentially. So they're kind of, they kind of get preferred status and everything. You know, it's kind of like us who are locals. We pull up and say, do you have a locals discount? Um, they, have, they have preferred status uh, in the nation and they're treated well and they're fed well and, and they're free and life is good. But something happened. They made a choice. You see, the famine lasted seven years and then the rains returned and they could have gone back and farmed their land, but they made a choice and the choice was, let's stay here. It's it's pretty nice here. It's comfortable here. They liked Egypt, plenty to eat. Our, Our flocks are doing good. Our families are growing. Life was good and life was comfortable in Egypt. But then eventually, we don't know when, but eventually Joseph died. Their connection, if you will. The guy that was looking over them, who had all the power, died. The Pharaoh that welcomed them into Egypt, died. And then rose up a new Pharaoh, a different Pharaoh, who looked and saw this population growing into the hundreds and hundreds of thousands and said, they're going to take us over if we don't do something. And then they turned the people of God into their slaves, took them into slavery. Well, back home, By the way, they became slaves. That was, let me tell you again, that was their choice not to go home. What happened back home? They got all this land, they've got homes, and they've got farms, and they've got ranches, and they've got all, everything, the infrastructure that they had built when they they lived there back home, everything was abandoned. And so foreigners who surrounded their country began to move in and and they became squatters, if you will, and settled on their property and took over their property. The land that did not belong to these foreigners, these pagan countries, the land that belonged to the people of God. And then 400 years after the Israelites moved into Egypt, God said, you need to go home. So he called up, raised up a man by the name of Moses who led them out of Egypt. And there we have the story of the Exodus. See, this morning, if this is the only thing you get out of the message, get this, my choices matter. Not only for me, but my choices matter for the generations that will follow me. My choices matter for my kids, for my grandkids, my great-grandchildren. Choices 
matter. Seven years turned into over 400. Favor with Pharaoh became slavery. Home was a lost, distant memory. And then the exodus and a trip that should have taken them a couple of weeks. Max. Wound up lasting for 40 years. Why? Because of choices. They chose to disobey. They chose to doubt God. The very God who had delivered them. They wandered around in circles in the Sinai Desert for 40 years until everybody, everybody who lived, who was alive coming out of Egypt until they all died in the wilderness, including Moses. Only two survived, and that was Joshua and Caleb. They survived because they were men of faith. They chose to obey God. Now Joshua has been given this role of leadership that when Moses died, it's turned over to him, and he's given instructions from God. Cross the Jordan River. Take back the land. That is your property that's been taken by foreign powers, by foreign people. So Joshua now leads this nation, and scholars tell me they're about two million strong. He's a military leader. He's a warrior. But he's also, get this, for those of us who are getting a little bit up in years, I talked about aging. You know, uh, he's, he's about 90 years old. And, and I'm, I'm excited about that because one of the things that tells me, that tells me is that you're never too old to serve God. All right? You're never. There's always something God's got for you to do. So there's Joshua, this 90-year-old man. He's in charge of leading these people across the Jordan River. They'll need Joshua's military skills because ahead of them is their land, but it's possessed by nations who have armies. They have fortified cities, and they've got to be moved out. And they don't want to go. Been their land for 400 years. They have to be removed. So God tells Joshua this in Joshua chapter 1, verse 3, I've given you every place where the sole of your foot treads, just as I promised Moses. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. I will be with you just as I was with Moses. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you will distribute the land I swore to their fathers to give them as an inheritance. But in order to move into the land of promise, they had to overcome some obstacles, some things in their way. First thing in their way was the Jordan River. You see, there were no bridges, and they arrived there at the time of the year. It was springtime, the time of the year when the mountains, if you'll put that map up, um, Jack, thank you, way up above the Dead Sea, the Jordan River flows down into the Dead Sea, and farther north is the Sea of Galilee, and above that is Lebanon, and in Lebanon there are mountains that get snow-capped in the wintertime, and in the spring that snow melts and comes down and flows into the Galilee and flows into the Jordan and flows into the Dead Sea, so this time of the year the river is swollen with floodwaters, overflowing its banks, and the current is swift and it's deep. The places where there might have been fords where they could have crossed in shallow water, are now, ra- are now whitewater rapids. How in the world can we cross the Jordan River? They have no bridges. What are we going to do? How do hundreds of thousands, how do two million people with livestock and possessions cross? But, and I think that's a great question. That was the question before them when they got to it. I think maybe the better question is this. Why God and Joshua 
led them to come into the land this way where they had to cross a river. Because if you look at that map, you see the Dead Sea. Well, to the, to the south and the west of the Dead Sea is the Sinai Peninsula. Why didn't they come up on the west side of the Dead Sea rather than going around on the east side and going all the way up where they had to cross a river? There was no river to cross the other way. Why God brought them this way? You know, come on. There's a river there and it's overflowing. That's a good question. Well, here's why. Let me, let me just give you a point in your notes. Possession of God's promises is not without obstacles. They needed to learn this. There are going to be obstacles in your way, even getting into the promised land. You see, please hear me. In God's sovereign will, that means he's in control. In God's sovereign will, sometimes he puts obstacles in our way so that we can grow, so that we can mature so we can learn to trust him. And God's goal for them, as it is for us, is to conquer the obstacles that are ahead. But the story of the nation of Israel in the book of Joshua shows us this. And here's the first opportunity to see this. You and I are unable to conquer the obstacles. We've got to let God do it for us. Please hear that. We don't have the ability, but He does. He will go ahead of us and he'll take care of it for us. They were, secondly, they were committed to obeying God's commands. Back in chapter 1, beginning in verse 16, Joshua said to them, I've been talking with God, and God says we're going to go in the land, we're going to take the land, every place that our feet touch the ground, that's our property, and he's going to see to it that we get it back. But you're going to have to trust God and you're going to have to trust me as I listen to God. And the people said to Joshua, everything you have commanded to us, we will do. And everywhere you send us, we will go. We will obey you just as we obeyed Moses. Listen to what they said. Just as we obeyed Moses in everything. Oh, wait a second. I know that story. Poor Moses, by the time he died, he had no hair left because he was pulling it out. We'll obey you just like we obeyed Moses. And may the Lord your God, Joshua, be with you as he was with Moses. Anyone, and here's how strongly we feel about it. Anyone who rebels against your order and does not obey your words and all that you command him will be put to death. We got your back, Joshua. Anybody tries to start a rebellion, we'll take care of him. Above all, Joshua, be strong and courageous. Great words. They committed themselves to obeying God's commands. You see, you can't do what they were about to do. If you've ever led, if if you're a business person, you have employees, if you've ever been a Girl Scout leader and have brownies, if you've ever, you know, go on and on, things that you have led, been a a coach of a a ball team, uh, you're you're a pastor of a church, whatever, and any kind of leadership, if you've got people, you're a manager of a store, Tilly, any kind of people that you lead, it does not work unless the people who are following you follow you. They obey. It just doesn't work otherwise. They had heard from Joshua, this is what God says we're going to do. And though it seemed like a huge daunting task, they agreed. You know, it takes me back to the series we did early in the spring on the Great Commission when Jesus gave his marching orders to his disciples, to you and me, and he said, I want you to go into all the world. I want you to make disciples of all nations. And making disciples, part of that disciple making, Jesus said, was teaching them to do what? Observe everything that I've commanded you. Teach them obedience, because it won't work otherwise. Commands are given, whether it's by your boss 
or whether it's by Almighty God, commands are given to be observed, not ignored. They're to be obeyed, not seen as options. They're commands. So secretly, here's what Joshua does. They're on the, on, the, on the east side of the river a little bit, and he says, he picks out two men that are trustworthy. He says, I want you guys to stealthily, secretly get over to Jericho and spy it out. Tell me what kind of what's going on there. He knew the city was ahead. He didn't know much about it. So he sends these two spies. They get to Jericho, and they go to the home of a prostitute, which would not have been unusual for foreign men to come into town, and that's where they go. A prostitute by the name of Rahab. Rahab hides them secretly so that they're not found because the king finds out they're there. The king finds out they've gone to this prostitute's home and he sends people. She hides them and sneaks them out of town and so forth. And she asks for and she gets eventually the promise that she and her family would survive the assault. Promise was kept. In fact, Rahab is a great example of God's grace. You know, sometimes we might think there are people that God can't save people that God can't use. Rahab was a prostitute. I mean, she might have been the last person we might have looked for to do something great for God, but she did. And then after the city was destroyed, Rahab and her family were the only survivors. She ends up marrying a Hebrew man, and she becomes a great, great, great grandma to a guy by the name of Boaz. Do you remember him? Married Ruth, and Boaz and Ruth were great-great-great-great-great-grandparents of a man by the name of Jesus. God's grace is tremendous, isn't it? So the spies come back, and they go back to Joshua, and they, they bring him the news, and the news is this. Here's what we heard in Jericho. This city is freaked out because we're on our way. They are panicking at this prospect of this army, and they had an army, of Israelites coming and taking their city because they knew we're, we're on their property. They're coming to get it back. The Bible says they knew who the Israelites were. They knew that they were coming. They heard, heard the story of 40 years ago of the Red Sea parting and them coming across. They heard the more recent news of them taking on the Amorite kings and defeating them. They knew this is a formidable force right ahead of us. But they thought, you know, but, but we've got walls. We've got fortifications. We've got soldiers that we can post on the top of the walls. We can take care of this. We can, we can hold out. Another point in the story that you need to understand. As they begin to move, the Israelites toward Jericho, they moved with God in front of them. God was with them. God was in front of them. They had been camping a few miles east of the river, and then Joshua said, break camp, and they moved to the eastern bank of the river. They got to the river, and they stayed there for three days. Well, you know, I can imagine, as you would, you're camping alongside the river. Let's go and look at the river, and they went out and looked at the river, and I mean, it's overflowing. It's white water. It's deep. It's treacherous, and over on the other side is the city that they've got to take, and I'm sure that there were some naysayers There were some people that when Joshua said, that's where we're headed, there were people who looked at the river and said, but people will drown. Our children will be swept out of our arms. Our livestock will die in this river. We could lose everything, Joshua. But God brought them to the river because he wanted them to see what a great obstacle it was to their progress. How would they cross? Well, you know what? 
Joshua didn't have a clue at first. He didn't know. He wasn't sure how this was going to happen. But he gave instructions to the priests, not the Levites who usually carried the Ark of the Covenant, that box that contained manna and that box that contained Aaron's rod that budded, that box that contained the tablets of the Ten Commandments. It was that box that represented and was the presence of God for them. God was where that box was. He said, you priests carry it and you go to the river and the rest of us, he said, don't anybody get within a thousand yards of the Ark of the Covenant. You stay back that far. Now, there's a practical reason for this and a spiritual lesson. The practical reason was we've never been here before. We're not sure exactly how to get there, where we're going. So stay back so we can watch them make their way. And then we'll follow where they go. The spiritual lesson is that this this Ark of the Covenant, this gold box, represented, as I said, the presence of God. And you stay back a thousand yards. Why? Because God is holy. Please understand, the priests could not carry it any way they wanted to. They couldn't, just, they couldn't even touch the box. There were poles that they slid through rings that were on either side of the box. The poles went through and they carried the, the priests carried this up on their shoulders, but they could not touch. If they touched it, they died. God's presence is holy. That's one of the things this lesson tells me. God's presence is a, is a sacred place. And if we as a church, if we ever get to the place, listen, Nag said church, where we take him for granted, where we approach him in a nonchalant way, we're showing him tremendous disrespect. He's holy. Well, Joshua told the priests, get, get the covenant, Ark of the Covenant, get it up, carry it to the river, but I don't know what happens next. But he told the people, he told the people, consecrate yourselves. What does that mean? Get your hearts ready because God, he said, is going to do something amazing tomorrow. I don't know what it is, but trust me, God's going to do something amazing tomorrow. He had faith in the Lord, and then the Lord gave Joshua instructions about here's how you're going to cross the river. So quickly, They cross the river by following God's instructions. And here were God's instructions. You tell the priest carrying the ark to walk to the river and step into the river. And the Bible says that the instant, the very instant that the priest, the soles of the priest's feet touched the water, it was like somebody north of where they were had built a dam all of a sudden and the water stopped. Stopped. The riverbed was dry. And so the people were able to walk into a dry riverbed and cross the river. There were nine and a half of the tribes that went across. You say, why nine and a half? Because two and a half of the tribes were given land still on the east side of the river. That's where they were staying. But they sent 40,000 soldiers, these two and a half tribes did, to go across with everybody else. Who knows how many total soldiers they had, but if two and a half tribes gave up 40,000 and kept some behind for their own defense and protection, hundreds of thousands. And they all go across, and they get across the river, and the Bible says when they got across the river and the priest finally got, everybody's gone, Everything's done. The priest went across the river, and as soon as they stepped on the land, the water started flowing again. Now, that's a God thing, isn't it? I've never seen anything like that happen. 
For us, the Ark of the Covenant, as they carried it into the river, it's representative of the work of Christ who would come. And Christ in us, the Bible says, Christ is in us. So I can't, please understand, you Christians here today, you carry Christ with you everywhere you go. Crossing the Jordan pictures the Christian, you and me, moving from a time maybe in our lives of wandering. It brings us to a time of God's cleansing us from our past to discovering our, the wonderful graces and new life and benefits that he has for us as children. Well, they made sure, and I think, I think here on day before Independence Day, I think this is so important. I'm amazed at how many young people have no clue about 1776. That tomorrow is not simply the 4th of July. It's Independence Day. And let me encourage you, just, just kind of an aside, take time tomorrow to tell your kids why it's Independence Day. And if you don't know, Google it, all right? <laughs> Wikipedia will help you out. They made sure the next generations knew what God had done. How did they do that? They set up two memorials. Joshua said, now one person from every tribe come into the river, the dry riverbed, pick up a stone, one guy. I imagine these are stones that are about as heavy as a man could carry. Twelve of them. And take them to the other side of the river, and we're going to mound them up, put them in a mound, and that's going to be a memorial for our people. What was that a memorial to? That was a memorial for them that they had crossed the river and gone into new life. They were possessing their land. For Christians, that memorial, that that pile of stones, represents the new life we've been given because of Christ's resurrection. The other side of the river. But Joshua did something different. Joshua, when they did, he went into the river itself and picked up 12 stones and piled them in the middle of the river bed. Two, two morals. That river bed was a symbol that we have come across the river. This is where we, the ark was, the presence of God here, and we came across the river and we're never going back. For Christians, those of you And I who know Christ, we have left the past behind. Our past was forgiven on the cross. We're never to go back there again. And then the next point is a little bit, I won't say humorous, but they renewed their identification as God's people. And I'll explain to you why. We'll get a chuckle out of it, I think. And this wasn't easy. They did a couple things. They made camp just on the outskirts of of Jericho. They've crossed the river. They're now on the Jericho side of the river, and they get to where they can see probably the city and they camp. Now, again, two million people almost, not quite that many, but camping, a million and a half, perhaps. And I I think no doubt from the city walls, the people in Jericho could see the campfires. I mean, how many campfires are for two, had that many people, hundreds of thousands? They could hear the noise, the conversation, the laughter as a city was out there, larger than them, camped out. While camped there for five days, they performed two rituals to remind them of who they were. Let's get our identification straight here. Who are we? The first ritual was Passover. That was their annual ritual of a meal and a sacrificed lamb to remind them of how they were freed from Egypt. When God, they did the Passover, they killed the lamb, every family, and and the angel of death did not touch them. And then Pharaoh said the next day, get out of town, please leave. 
God brought us out of Egypt to get to this place. He's not going to abandon us now. They celebrated Passover, which is in the spring, coincides with our celebration of Easter, crucifixion. It was a reminder, Passover is and still is to the Jewish people of what God did to take them out of Egypt. And reminders are good things for all of us to keep us from forgetting and to keep us from taking for granted the cost to purchase us. How God freed us. Last Sunday, we, Sunday if you were here, we had the, the reminder of communion in our gathering. Now, that was the first ritual. The second one was this. They had to be circumcised. Joshua said, our identity, part of the covenant that God gave to Abraham was that all the males born in this nation would be circumcised, but they had not practiced circumcision now for 40 years. So they've got a lot of people, a lot of grown men. Joshua says, sharpen up some knives. And he circumcises, who knows how, I mean, how many hundreds of thousands of men. Aren't you glad you're not an Israelite in Joshua's day, gentlemen? All the men who had left Egypt had been circumcised, but now that's part of our identification. That's part of our relationship, covenant relationship to God. And these two rituals, Passover and the circumcision, what were they about? They were about getting God's people back to the basics. You see, before we can conquer any obstacles in, in our lives, whatever they might be, that prevent us from the life that he's called us to live. We've got to do the basic things, and we need to do them consistently and do them right. And we're thankful, again, men, if you agree with me, say amen. We're thankful that circumcision was done away with when Christ died on the cross. That's not necessary to be a believer. No amens. All right, guys. <laughs> Sharpen up some knives, all right? Come on, you fellas awake? Here we go. I will be saying, praise God. Here at Nags Head Church, we teach that the basics, what does it mean to do the basics? It means these things being part of our lives. Regular personal time with God and his word and prayer. That's basic. Second, regular fellowship with God's people in worship. We're doing that right now. And in small groups. We have connection groups here at Nags Head Church, but regular fellowship with God's people. Regular and generous giving to God through the local church. That's basic. A regular place of service in ministry to the church. Finding a place, filling a gap, doing what needs to be done to serve the people of God. It was great after the last gathering to see some of our men grab some umbrellas and help people get out to their cars in the rain. That's serving. That's ministry. That was awesome to see that happen. Those are the basics. Those things are where we have to start. If we ignore them or we're even inconsistent with those things, we will not move past the river or the city of Jericho in our lives. Can't. In fact, what will happen is we're not consistent in those things. We will lose courage. We will be discouraged and we'll want to go back to Egypt, back to the wilderness, back to the other side of the river. So they follow God's plan to completion even though God's plan was unusual. There in front of them is this fortified walled city that had been there for thousands of years. Archaeologists tell us that the city of Jericho was perhaps the oldest city in the world. 
if not the oldest, one of the oldest. It had been there forever. And it seems clear that God gave the residents of Jericho the opportunity to get out alive. They knew the Israelites were over there before they ever got to the river. There were five days between their crossing the river to the day they began to encircle the city. They had three days on the other side, then five days after, that's eight days, they could have evacuated. But they didn't. They knew, their spies told them, you won't believe what happened. We just went down there and we're watching. They crossed the Jordan River because the water stopped flowing. Impossible. But they realized there's a power behind these people we don't get. And they could have left. But they didn't leave. They stayed in Jericho. Knowing the power behind the army of Israel should have caused them, I would think, to evacuate and head for the hills. Please understand, because I've lived here now for 30 years, I understand that if there was ever a Category 3 or 4 hurricane predicted to come and hit this area, I'm gone. I'll be singing the Eagle song. I'm already gone. I'm out of town. I'm not dumb. My house is not that strong. And those pine trees around it, I don't trust them either. These people, you know why they stayed? Oh, we got these huge thick walls. We're going to fortify the walls. We're going to fortify the gates. We're going to hunker down. But yet they were scared to death. If if they had only known, I think this is humorous too, if they'd only known what was happening there between them and the river where they were camped, that the soldiers in the army of Israel were incapacitated for a few days, they can't get up and do anything. If they had gone down and fought with their army, they probably could have taken them. They didn't know. And what kind of conquest involves marching in silence? Here's the instructions God gave Joshua. You march around the city once a day. Get your soldiers, get the the priests and the ark, and you march around the city one time for six days. Every day, one time, you just march, and you don't say a word. And I'm sure the people in Jericho, they see this happening and they go, especially their, maybe their soldiers are looking down and say, what in the world is this about? Who, ring around the rosy, what are we doing here? And maybe after the second or third day, they began to chuckle and they began to laugh. They're not going to do anything. They're just walking around They're out for a walk. It doesn't scare us, guys. And then on the seventh day, you march around seven times. By the way, remember the word seven in this story. All right, seven. We've already had one seven. Now there's another seven. March around the city seven times. And and after the seventh time, the the priests, there are priests that are going to blow trumpets, and then we're all going to shout. And Joshua, when he gave them the plan, oh, Don't you think those soldiers up on the wall are going to fire arrows down on us and they're probably going to laugh at us and make fun of us? This is no way, Joshua, maybe it is time to retire. This is no way to fight a war. But they had to trust, they already told them, we're going to do what you say. They're trusting the orders that Joshua would receive from the Lord. And the point to us is this, the the Lord's ways in your life and my life as we approach obstacles, the Lord's ways are often You know, you've heard this before. The Lord's ways are mysterious. Sometimes they don't make a whole lot of sense. 
And because of that, because maybe they don't make sense to you and me, we're often tempted to say, you know what, God? Okay, I, I read this in the Bible, but here's, don't tell me you've never done this, but God, I've got this idea instead. Here's what I'm going to do about it. Listen to me. If some godly Christian person that you know and you trust and they walk with the Lord, they give you counsel about an obstacle in your way, Maybe they've been down that same path before that you're about to go down. And they give you counsel. Would you please listen to them? Would you please accept that counsel? Would you save yourself some frustration and heartache? Here's what the Bible says in Psalm 20, verse 7. Some take pride in a chariot. Some people say, we got the best chariots around. He says, some take pride in horses, but we take pride in the name of the Lord our God. See, the battles we fight as we progress in the journey of being like Jesus, listen to me, Christian, they are spiritual battles. They're not physical battles. They're spiritual battles, so the methods and the tactics of the world won't work. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 and 4. It says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, the weapons we fight with have divine power to demolish strongholds. So they walked around the city once a day for six days. On the seventh day, they walked around seven times. There were seven priests holding seven trumpets, marching before the ark. Lots of sevens. And I told you a few weeks ago, in the Bible, the number seven symbolizes, represents completion in Scripture. It was time. And once they went around seven times, Joshua gave a command, and these seven priests blew these trumpets. And then God or excuse me, Joshua, after the trumpet sounded, Joshua gave command to the people, to the soldiers, shout! Again, they're not Baptists, because you know how Baptists, we just shout. Yippee, okay. Go God. Um, Unless we're watching a football game, and the guy, the running back on our team, He's carrying the ball and he breaks through the line and the nearest defender's 10 yards behind him. He's, he's 75 yards from the goal line. Tell me you're not shouting. You're calling his name. You're praying for God to slay the defenders. You're shouting then. Sometimes we don't, we don't know what we ought to get excited about. They shouted. And the walls of the city came crashing down. The word for trumpets, by the way, Word for trumpets is the it means the jubilee trumpets that Israel blew during feasts and to proclaim the presence of God. The strategy here wasn't just a military action. This was an act of their faith. As they walked around the city over and over, they were declaring with the Ark of the Covenant there, they were declaring when the trumpet sounded that God was going around with them. This was God's battle and God was going to fight and win it. By the way, we know that when Christ returns, there's going to be the sound of a trumpet and a shout, isn't there? The walls came crashing down.
Oh, give a shout, huh? I was sitting next to Miko, and she was telling me about, she appreciated the message, and I said, oh, it's not over, and it gets better. <laughs> so get your notes back out. Here's, here's the best part of the whole story. We conquer lives, conquer life's obstacles when Christ takes over our lives. Just before the week of marching around the city began, Joshua was out scouting Jericho. He's a military leader. He's, he, so he goes over and he scouts from probably a vantage point, looking over the terrain, looking over the land to see, now how are we going to do this? Because he did not know the plan yet. How are we going to attack? Where are we going to come in? Where are we going to fight? How are we, if necessary, going to retreat? Well, he's thinking all the military things. But something supernatural happened while he's out scouting. Look with me at chapter 5 in your Bible, Joshua chapter 5. You don't want to miss this. Verse 13. When Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword. He wasn't expecting that. And Joshua approached him. The man, he's the man there with a sword out. And Joshua approached him and asked, Are you for us or are you for our enemies? Neither, he replied. I have now come as commander of the Lord's army. Joshua bowed with his face to the ground in worship and asked him, What does my Lord want to say to his servant? What do you got to tell me? What are the plans? Look what he says to him. Verse 15, remove the sandals from your feet. For the place where you're standing is holy. Can you remember a time in the Bible earlier than this when someone else was told those same words? Do you remember Moses confronting the burning bush? Take off your sandals, Moses, because the place you're standing is holy ground. Why was it holy? Because Christ was in the burning bush. Christ is standing in front of Joshua in a pre-incarnate existence. He he's makes an appearance. He is the commander of the Lord's army. And he's going to tell Joshua in the next chapter, here's what you do. Here's how you fight the battle. Here's the point this morning. If Jesus is part of your life. He isn't leading your battles. What do you mean? Don't raise your hand, but if Jesus is part, Jesus doesn't want to be part of your life. He wants to be your whole life. Paul said, for me to live is who? Christ. If he's just a part of your life, he's my Sunday morning Gee whiz, Rick, I thought we got out of here at noon. He's my Sunday morning hour. If that's all he is to you, he's not leading your life. He wants to be your L-O-R-D, Lord. Part means not whole, and to be commander means he requires complete submission. The word Lord means the one in control, not just on Sundays. And here's what it tells me and you, Christian, everywhere I go, Everywhere I step, Christ is in me. My life is to be Christ's life.
that people can see as a witness. Everywhere I step, everywhere I go, everywhere my sandal, the seat of my, the, the soles of my feet go, everywhere I travel is holy, sacred ground. Everywhere. And I'm to live that way. I'm to worship that way. Here's perhaps the key to why some of us never can get past the Jordan River. We never can get past the city of Jericho in your life. I think the Christ who saved you, and most of us would say, yes, he's done that. If you're a believer in Jesus, he saved you. He's got to become your Lord. He's got to become your commander. And Joshua showed that as leader of the nation, he was not first in command the commander of the Lord's army was. And here's what Jesus said to him. Let me paraphrase Jesus' words. When Joshua said, are you, are you for us or are you for our enemies? Jesus paraphrased Jesus' words. He said, I didn't come to choose sides. I didn't come to take sides, Joshua. I came to take over. That's what it means for Jesus to be your Lord. Let him take over. Let him lead you past the obstacles that maybe he's placed in your life so you can learn to trust him with everything. Would you bow your heads with me? What's the obstacle in your life right now? It might be physical. It might be financial. It might be relational. It might be something to do with a career or a move. It might be just something out I'm stumped. Trust in him. He's given, you, he's given you his battle plan. It's that book that you have in your lap. It's that holy Bible that you possess. Father, help us to follow. Help us to lead. Help us to fall on our faces before you in worship. Help us not to do anything with you nonchalantly. Help us to realize you're holy and that you care so much about us. And there is a promised land you've got for us to pursue to go through until you take us to heaven. You want us to overcome the obstacles, not be defeated by them. Help us to listen to your plan. Wait for it, and then move when you give it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church. Love God, love others, reach the world.